Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to SACPA. My name's Dwayne Pendergast. I'm your moderator today. I'll start with a few housekeeping tasks. The microphones are now on. Please turn off your cell phones. There's a basket on your table to collect your $10 payment. And will someone at each table please confirm the total's correct? And I remind everyone that SACP is a volunteer nonprofit association. We rely on membership fees and other contributions to continue our work. Memberships are available from Lisa right here, banning the audio system. And uh, we particularly thank the University of Lethbridge for their support. Uh, Country Kitchen Catering for our great lunches. Shaw TV for broadcasting sessions on Sunday. And the Lethbridge Media for their coverage of our events. We start with a 25 to 30 minute presentation. Then we have lunch. Followed by a 30 minute question period starting about 1 o'clock. Now, just last week, we heard about a recommendation for the formation of an independent Alberta Environmental Monitoring Commission. That could pose some new challenges to Alberta's resource development, uh, particularly to water. And today, we'll hear about a new government entity called the, and this is quite a mouthful, the Alberta Research and Innovation Authority, apparently also known as Alberta Innovates, which seeks to integrate research and development from several former government and other departments. Uh, David Hill is the Executive Director of Water Resources for Energy and Environment Solutions within the Authority. And that's really getting too complicated for me to follow. He has more than 35 years' experience in water management in Alberta, including management of the Alberta Irrigations Project Association here in Lethbridge. He'll help us understand how water issues will be integrated into the new organizational structure of Alberta Innovates. David's talk is titled, With Alberta's Economy Fueled by Hydrocarbons, is water playing second fiddle. That comes from the headline writing expertise of Knut uh, Peterson. <laughs> Welcome to SACPA, David. Podium is yours now. Hello, everyone. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be here today. Um, I moved to Edmonton four years ago this coming October 1st. 
And I have to admit that coming back to Lethbridge often because I have family, I wasn't quite prepared for yesterday and today in that I'm in Lethbridge on days when the wind isn't blowing. <laughs> I had completely forgotten those days happen. Um, what I would like to do today is uh, spend a little time talking with you about uh, water in Alberta. And uh, I know in, in preparing to come down and speak to you today, I had suggested to uh, Dwayne and Newt that uh, maybe a talk about uh, Alberta runs on water is a good idea, but I have no problem with the license they took at uh, renaming the talk. Um, I do want to, though, uh, spend a little bit longer on some items than others, but provide you with an overview that will hopefully lead to a pretty good discussion after lunch. Water is unique. It's different from most other natural resources. Uh, I think all of us understand water's connection to life, how important it is to all living things. But water has some other things connected to it that I think add to why it is such an interesting thing to talk about. It's uh, personal. It is often uh, very emotional. It has a lot to do with economics and our economy. It's political, and it's embedded in almost everything we do or everything we want. And in many, many instances, there's actually no replacement for it. Uh, I went to a little online calculator this morning uh, that's actually in the EU, but uh, to take a look at the slacks and shirt that I'm wearing, I'm wearing about 2,900 liters of water this morning, and it uh, gives you an idea a little bit of, of how water fits into the things that we're doing. I want to talk a little bit globally first, and then you'll see from a global perspective how things that are happening around the world are also relevant to us here in Alberta and why we maybe should be paying attention to places that are actually worse off than us as far as where we may be able to contribute to not only our own solutions but global solutions. Uh, water stress populations around the world are increasing. There's increasing municipal and industrial water use everywhere in the world, particularly as economies uh, improve or develop. Uh, global or climate change forecasts are firming up. I think generally speaking, uh, while there's still a rampant debate around the subject, uh, our understanding of what the future might be is becoming a little more certain, at least within ranges. Uh, agriculture water demands are increasing sharply. In fact, I read a report just this week that says by 2050 we will have to double food production on the planet. And we're going to be doing that from a shrinking land base and from existing water supplies. So huge challenges. As a result, food, food prices are doubling, in some cases uh, tripling. Uh, we've seen what food prices have done politically in the Middle East over the last year. Uh, in many cases, some of the political upheaval we're seeing started as a result of increased food prices. Groundwater depletion and overdraft is happening in many parts of the world. Um, not really here in Alberta or even as much in Canada, but globally this is a significant issue. And around the world there's more than 70 river basins that no longer have any more water for economic use and are significantly environmentally impaired. And those basins affect one and, almost one and a half billion people. Well, Alberta is uh, <coughs> excuse me, unique also in the way it's put together. <coughs> Excuse me, we have, we have a really diverse landscape. We have alpine regions, uh, boreal forests, uh, parkland, and then the semi-arid prairies. And our water use is equally diverse. 
Um, irrigation accounting for the bulk of it a little better than 70%. Uh, commercial and industrial. And by the way, this is really, these percents are related to surface water use. So I'll tell you a little bit different story later. Uh, commercial industrial cities, water management, habitat, agriculture, and other. And we can see also from the map that's on the right-hand side of this slide, the bands there show the volume of water that exists in these rivers. And, of course, where 80% of the people in Alberta live is where there is the smallest water supply. And that really doesn't make us unique. That's pretty common to most settled places in the world that people live close to water, but the water isn't always where they need it, when they need it. So in our landscape here, um, there are some drivers that sound awful similar to the things that we're seeing around the world. In southern Alberta, most uh, major portions of the South Saskatchewan River Basin are fully allocated. There's still some room to move in the Red Deer and some things that can be added, uh, but the rest of the basin is closed to new allocations. And really what that means is we have to find water to meet new uses from the water that's already there. Industrial growth in the North Saskatchewan River around the industrial heartland is beginning even over time to challenge the North Saskatchewan, albeit that's more from a water quality perspective than a water quantity perspective, but still very important to anybody along the river or downstream. And then the Athabasca River, of course, has all of the issues around surface water and groundwater related to oil sands. At the same time <clears throat> as all of this is happening, there is globally and in Alberta increasing focus on environmental management and on integrating land and water management decision-making. I think a good recognition that these are things we have to pay more attention to. And then we can add on top of that the uncertainty related to climate change impacts and more frequent uh, extreme events. Uh, Alberta is another case in point for extreme events. Uh, some parts of the province with more than double the snowpack of normal this year, at the same time that uh, Slave Lake is being burned out, only to later be flooded, and flooding in different parts of the provinces all within the same quarter of the year. Alberta is not new at the water business or at uh, water discussions. Uh, since 2003, the province's strategy around water, uh, water for life, I think set out some very, very good goals and outcomes for the province, as well as some key directions and actions. And I think most of us are pretty familiar with these. Uh, the strategy that was released in 2003 was renewed by the government in 2008, and it captures a whole lot of what faces on a day-to-day -day basis. And I don't think there's much that one can argue with. The trick is in the implementation and how you make these things happen. Water is also, by its very nature, complex. Um, while it does run downhill, uh, it does do lots of other things as well. And most of us, to one degree or another, myself included, still take water for granted. This is time for a test. How many of you know how much water you consumed in your home in the last month of your bill from whoever it's from? Okay, there's a few. That's good. Um, I've been on this personal crusade that my wife says I'm nuts about, but it's actually really forced a lot of decision-making. Uh, we're down now to 105 liters per person per day in our home, which is a third the Canadian average. Not too bad. It did mean giving up my lawn 
garden and driveway and moving into a condo. <laughs> but the fact that I don't have to shovel snow in Edmonton is a real bonus. <laughs> you know, water is so intimately connected with everything that we do that it's sometimes hard to take a look at what are the pieces we can actually have an impact on and where can we have some influence and where can we make some change because it is ingrained in us and we do take it for granted. Um, when you go to other parts of the world <clears throat> where water might be in shorter supply, uh, you will find that they also, to one degree or another, continue to take it for granted. There is a real need in this whole water business, in this whole water discussion, for increase, uh, an increase in our knowledge base and understanding of how water affects our lives and what we can do about that to make things for the future better. The drive to sustainability, an improvement over perhaps what we've been doing the last number of decades, is going to mean change. And it's probably going to mean change for everyone. Regardless of the sector, regardless of their experience, this is going to mean change. Now, what's the role of our organization uh, in regards to all of these water questions? Um, if you read our, our mandate and the way we were created and brought into being in 2007, it was really to fund and coordinate water research in support of Water for Life and Alberta's water research strategy. How many people knew that there was an Alberta water research strategy? Yeah, a couple. I was at a meeting with Alberta Environment last week, and uh, there was a number of them who didn't know that one existed. We were also charged with being somewhat of a knowledge broker to provide analysis and context about water issues and how they might apply to public policy development, to improvements in practice, and to the choices that people can make around how water is used. We are also charged with taking a global view, not just being myopic or looking at what we're doing here, but taking a look at what are the best practices and ideas around the world and finding out how to implement them on our landscape. So we kind of said about ourselves that we wanted to be an organization in a place where ideas flow, where there's an open exchange of ideas and ideas have consequences. Well, that brings me to a little bit of an update of what that landscape looks like. In January of 2010, the Alberta government brought in some legislation, the Alberta Innovation and Research Act, which really changed a large part of the landscape around provincially provided funding for research initiatives outside of universities. And as you can see from this, there were a number of organizations that had been receiving money from the province. Some were part of government departments. Uh, some were standalone agencies that were all brought together underneath a new Alberta Innovates banner and uh, put together. And so the Alberta Life Sciences Institute, uh, the Ag Research Institute, Forest Research Institute, and the Prion Research Institute, all really working in the life sciences area, <clears throat> they became joined as part of Biosolutions. Uh, Energy Research Institute and the Water Research Institute uh, came together to form the uh, Energy and Environment Solutions. Uh, the Alberta Heritage uh, Fund for Medical Research became Health Solutions. And then uh, four large and diverse organizations, the Alberta Research Council, Alberta Ingenuity, uh, parts of it, uh, Nano Alberta and i were brought together to form Technology Futures. 
In the middle, there was a group there called the Alberta Science and Research Authority, which uh, Duane mentioned, and they became this Alberta Research and Innovation Authority. And they provide advice directly to cabinet on research and innovation at a very high level. And these other organizations then uh, <clears throat> have their mandates to help Alberta advance uh, in knowledge and research in their particular areas of expertise. Within our organization, um, there's four strategic themes. Uh, two of them are very, very much around, uh, very energy-centric in a way. Uh, one on energy technologies, which is really about recovery. One on renewables and emerging fuels. So everything from solar to wind uh, to shale gas to whatever you want to think about it. Uh, we have a theme around environmental management, which is really in the energy sector, but it's around water used in energy processes. Much of its focus is in carbon capture and storage, as well as in uh, oil sands tailings reclamation. And then there's the water resources section, which deals with water <clears throat> across the province, really underwater for life, as well as the water research strategy, and then the translation of knowledge into policy and practice. So our research portfolio that we've managed to develop, uh, we started operations in October 2007 with a $30 million investment by the province. Uh, we've translated that $30 million investment into $50 million in activity with leveraging. Of that additional $20 million, about $13 million comes from industry. So they've been significant players. Uh, we were able to attract uh, to work with us uh, Dr. Uh, Sasha Zainder, who previously was the president of the Swiss Federal University System. Before that, headed up the world's largest uh, water research institute in Switzerland, EOWOG. He's been at Wangeningen in Holland, was on staff at Stanford, uh, is today a member of the Board of Trustees of the National Technical University of Singapore, uh, a real world global water figure. In fact, uh, where he's headed to next is as an invited member of the Global Economic Forum uh, in the Middle East to talk about water and food. We've managed to get 35 initiatives underway or complete. About half of our portfolio of research is invested through research teams at uh, Alberta universities, plus about 10 other international institutions. But we've had excellent cooperation from University of Lethbridge, University of Calgary, and University of Alberta. And the projects I'm going to actually showcase a little bit for you today have a definite U of L bent to them. So I hope nobody minds that I, I did that. Um, about a third of our work in the past has been focused on water issues in the oil sands. On a go-forward basis, we're investing less of our money in the oil sands side since we integrated because money is already being spent there. But where we are spending it in the oil sands is around the environment piece instead of the process engineering piece. So, for example, what should the standards be if water is treated in tailings ponds and eventually released to the environment? What standards have to be met? And then about 10% of our portfolio was spent on knowledge translation. This is a significant challenge and an area that we have to spend a lot more time thinking and doing things about. So that the information and knowledge that we have makes it into the hands of people making decisions and making policy. So a couple fundamental questions. Uh, those of us who have been playing in water most of our careers would have thought the answers to these questions are readily available on a website. How much water is there? Where is it? When is it? Uh, what's it used for? What are the risks and vulnerabilities? 
we soon found out that it's not easily accessible and an overall synthesis has not been done. So this is one of the projects we started about a year and a half ago and we'll publish the reports uh, sometime next month or the month after. And it really allowed us to look at water in Alberta a little bit differently. We decided to change the discussion. And so we talk about blue water, which is really water that's surface water, green water that is really part of the hydrologic cycle and ends up as uh, water stored in soil moisture and part of that normal evapotranspiration uh, cycle, and then fossil water, which includes the water in the glaciers as well as water in, in groundwater aquifers, and take a little bit different look at things. So I want to show a few results. Uh, this work was done by uh, Dr. Stefan Kinzel at uh, University of Lethbridge. We asked Stefan to take a look at all of the hydrological data that we had available to us and start to give us some sense of if there are places in Alberta that are most important to the yield of watersheds, where are they? And so Stefan looked at all of the records that were available and then uh, using his students and his particular expertise in GIS, uh, he began to pull together information. The map on the left takes a look at the yield from specific watersheds and uh, the map on the right is actually the same data but it's expressed as percent of the watershed within those sub-watersheds. Now this map's impossible for you to see. So let's zoom in. This is uh, looking close to Calgary. So this is the water yield. You can see all of these sub-watersheds that are delineated. And then the numbers that are in them relate to the cubic meters of water per square kilometer per year times 1,000. So it gives you an idea of the total yield of those watersheds. So if you look up into the mountains, you can see some numbers like 615, 577, uh, 507, these are very, very important places that yield a lot of water that those of us downstream rely on every day. If we take another look at that, we can take a look at the same data but look again on a percentage basis. So we can see that where there was this 507 um, up in this upper left, that's 24% of that watershed, whereas the one right below it at 615 is only 0.7. So these things can still be regionally important or they can be locally important. And having a different way of looking at exactly the same data changes your perspective. Uh, we provided this information earlier this year to the Alberta planners at their conference and they said, well, why haven't we been able to have this before? If there's water-intensive developments, there are some areas you don't want to have anything in because of what it generates. So... This again is taking a look at data over a long-term average. There's always some problems with that. The other thing we asked Stefan to do was take a look at trends. What's happening over a period of time? And the largest piece of time we could find consistent data with was 1971 to 2000. The map on the left is maximum annual flows and the one on the right is minimum annual flows. If it's the lightest yellow or the lightest blue, there's really not much of a trend to be found. But the more blue it gets, that means there's more water. And the more orange it gets, that means there's less. Now, this is just an annual snapshot. But again, if you want <clears throat> excuse me, to drill in a bit, uh, here's a piece around Edmonton uh, where you can see that really there's not a whole lot of trends happening. Um, in and around Red Deer, there is a little bit of a trend to more water in the maximum annual. 
And then if you look at the same thing on a minimum, you can see that even from a minimums, there's lots of areas that are increasing, but there's some that are decreasing significantly. And some of the significance is, is significantly high. So again, another set, it's all the same data, but looking at it through different lenses, because these different lenses are what people need to make different kinds of decisions. Well, once you start to assemble information and knowledge, you have to do something with it. Uh, knowledge by itself doesn't accomplish a whole lot. So one of the projects that we worked on last year with a group of stakeholders was in the Bow River Basin. And it was really to test the ideas of collaborative management of an entire watershed. And I see that Richard Phillips is here from the Bow River Irrigation District of Vauxhall. He was part of this team that uh, worked on this. Uh, Dr. Stu Rood assisted uh, from, a, from a fisheries point of view and environmental flow point of view as well. The Bow is a really interesting river in that it has a very large city on it, a million plus. Um, it's actually a fairly small river. Um, there is a lot of storage along it, but a lot of that storage is owned by a hydro utility, uh, not by the province. And the sources of the river are really important in that today it's about 80% snowmelt, and then 20% is the mixture of precipitation, groundwater return flow, and glacial melt uh, in the times of the year when the glaciers are adding to the flow of the river. But most of it is that snowmelt piece. Um, the, basin's also, the basin's also interesting in that uh, we have a history of flood and drought. Uh, this is an extended record going back into the 1400s done by Dave Sachin at Park in Saskatchewan uh, based on tree ring data. So the last century's been pretty good to us. Uh, going forward, we may have tougher times to deal with. And because Dwayne's told me I've only got five minutes, I'm really going to wrap it up. But things are changing. And this is the Bow Glacier, a picture taken from almost exactly the same spot, 1898-2002. Um, we don't have to look far to see that change is happening around us. Lots of challenges to address in this particular initiative. Uh, the work brought together all of these experts along with some models to really figure out what could we do if we manage the entire system as a whole instead of everybody operating for their own vested interest as the only thing they worried about. And as a result of this, we found some things. One, we found that if we operate the whole system as a whole, the lower bow below Bassano Dam could be significantly improved. So the amount of time that it is at really, really low flow significantly decreases. And the piece that's at uh, median high flow uh, improves, and it really doesn't do anything to the floods that occur because they're infrequent and, and beyond our ability to do a whole lot with. But here's a really interesting picture. This is uh, Lower Kananaskis Lake or Barrier Reservoir. This is one of Transalta's uh, hydro facilities on the bow. This is the way it looks probably pretty close to today. It's full. End of the season. Over the course of the winter, it will generate electricity for peaking demand, uh, in the province, and by next spring, after an entire winter, it will look like this. So which one do you prefer? Well, the modeling showed that we can probably make it look like this most of the time, and the maximum fluctuation might go up and down one meter instead of empty full, and return the river to a, a fishery as well. 
So what's next? Um, we've been working with a group of stakeholders. We had a uh, workshop in June where we brought folks to Edmonton to spend a couple days with us talking about what future needs are. As a result of that, we've emerged with three themes for our work to focus on. Uh, this area of water security, risk and vulnerability, uh, watershed stewardship and ecosystem management, and then conservation efficiency and productivity. These are consistent with Water for Life. They're also consistent with the land use framework and with issues around cumulative effects management. And we really hope to contribute to the knowledge that's available for decision makers, whether they're water managers or government or policy makers or elected officials, that this will improve the kinds of decision making. We are in the, in the mode of seeking more funding. Uh, we've committed all the money that we had. Uh, we met with the Minister of Advanced Education last week with our board chairman and our CEO, uh, put forward our funding plan going to the future. And as all good politicians do, he said, yes, this is very, very important, and yes, we should find the money, and I'm waiting to see the check. That said, we have found some funds, and uh, so very soon we're going to have a limited uh, call for expressions of interest, and we'll focus on probably three areas. This future of Alberta's water supply that takes some work we've done earlier and advances it, um, we want to take some of the work, and this is the first Stu's hearing about this, so Stu, I'm glad you're here. We want to do more on functional flows. We want to do it for every river in the province. I can only think of one guy who's really qualified to do that. So stay tuned. And then there's a real need to do something in rural Alberta around water and wastewater treatment systems. People who live in cities have a really good assurance of their water supply and really good wastewater treatment facilities. If you live in rural Alberta or are part of an Aboriginal community or a First Nations community, you don't have that assurance today. So how can we provide it is something we're going to work on. Finally, I want to convey to everybody how important water is to the economy of the province. 2009, Alberta's GDP was $247 billion. Of that $247 billion, almost $70 billion is exported outside of Canada. So the rest is consumed in Canada, not all in Alberta. If you take a look at the exports, they break down into three categories. Energy at almost 70%, uh, manufacturing at 26 and agriculture at 6%. That's both dryland agriculture or rain-fed plus irrigated. We should probably work within Alberta to get that up to 15%. That said, if you add to what's happening in Alberta, business and commercial, tourism and consumer, health on a domestic GDP basis, it's pretty easy to draw a circle around Alberta's GDP and more than half of it is directly connected every day to how we manage water. So I'll get back to what I sent to Duane. Uh, Alberta's economy might be fueled by hydrocarbons, but it runs on water. And water is the key critical piece to all of that. Uh, we do have some capacity. We'll leave some of this to the question and answer, but I think if Alberta is going to set itself apart on the global stage, it will be in our ability to address water issues across the combination and intersection between water, food, energy, and environmental health, and human health. And that's our challenge. Change is going to be needed. Uh, none of us can live with the status quo, but we have to be collaborative. It has to be evidence-based, and we have to adapt. And that's the job we have at EES. Thanks very much.